Turn with me to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, please. The book of Romans is a book that describes us in a way that is more accurate than any other book that has ever been written, not just the books outside of the Bible, but the books within the Bible. And certainly it is a book that answers so many questions that humanity has asked, including the questions that come from skeptics and comes from real seekers of truth who need answers to their questions. So these questions that the Bible answers, and specifically the book of Romans, an anthropological book, that is a book uh, that gives us the answers of who man is, who man is um, to the degree that no other book does. And when you come from a starting point that doesn't start with who we are, who God is, there is mass confusion in the world that, that, and, and that confusion breeds destruction. For example, one of the so-called heroes of modern civilization is a gentleman that many in the world, not, not that proper Christians who've studied any type of psychiatry, should understand that Sigmund Freud came from a basis. Sigmund Freud, that 1800s, um, confused, bitter drug addict who did enough cocaine to kill an elephant and much of secular psychiatry, and by the way, unfortunately, has even crept into the church. Christian counseling bases a lot of what they th uh, think should be accurate off of Sigmund Freud's uh, theories and writings. His greatest flaw was that he didn't come from the foundation of who man is. He believed man was a product of outward circumstances that developed into a personality um, that developed into depression, that developed into bad behaviors, just based on what happened in our families, our upbringing, and so on and so forth. Ignoring the reality that the greatest problem with us corporately as humanity and with individuals is the wickedness that resides inside of us. That is the greatest problem with us. You can have parents raising their children in an absolutely gospel, godly environment and taking them to be plugged into the body of Christ at a good church, and those kids can grow up to be absolute rejectors and deniers of Christ. It is the issue with, the greatest issue with man is man's hearts, it's the flesh, it's the wickedness, it's the things that are inside of us, not our outward circumstances. And one of the ways that it has 
developed into the church is, is, is that the church justifies a um, victim mentality. Victim mentality. And, and so I hear this a lot as a pastor. They come up and they explain their life. You know, I'm, I'm really, I'm, I have a troubled times. I don't have school fees. We don't have rent. We don't have this. We don't have that. And a lot of those can be legitimate things. And, and we want to hear about that. Don't hear me wrong. But it can lead into this, my life is very hard. I don't know if I can follow God. I don't know if he's there. I don't know if he listens. And there can be a justification of behaviors based on how you grew up, how your father treated you, how your mom treated you, how your brothers treated you, how your sisters treated you, how your uncles or aunties treated you. And no doubt there's legitimate pain and suffering and heartache that comes from the outside in where somebody may have hurt us or done any of that. And I don't want to minimize that, but let me do say that to have a victim mentality is to walk in modern, secular, psychiatric thinking. Oh, I behave this way because of what was done to me. Because I grew up in poverty. Or because I, this happened. Whatever the case. I remember thinking this way even as a Christian. And um, I was sharing with actually my pastor one time. I had just enrolled in the school of ministry in the United States. And he said, tell me your story. Tell me your testimony. And my testimony was like, you know, we, well, I, I was a drug addict and I was a drunkard and a partier and, and this. Uh, but, you know, when I grew up, my dad really abandoned us. He was abusive. He was a drunkard and uh, um, and, and it was painful and da 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 and I, and I went down that road and, and listen my pastor is like oh he didn't do this he's a really he's a straightforward guy he goes oh he didn't say oh that's so sad Josh oh man no wonder you ended up so wicked <laughs> he, he didn't he didn't say that he said it sounds like to me Josh you're blaming your dad and your upbringing for you being and, and choosing to live a life of sin. It's like, <laughs> I am offended. You know, I really was, and I was thinking, I mean, you know how when you're hit with truth that you really didn't understand and you had been walking in a way trying to justify sin, or whatever the case may be, I was a little taken back by it. And I realized that so much of Christianity wants to blame everybody else, so much of the world blames everybody else for their own sin, for their own wickedness, for their own bad choices. Well, the Bible corrects that. And it corrects it probably in the most vivid way right here in Romans chapter 1. Let me begin where we left off last week. Verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. 
Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became empty, became futile, in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. This is what we're going to spend most of the time on. The rest of it is kind of giving an example of what we talked about last week, the judgment of abandonment. God gave them over to vile passions. He gave them over to wickedness. He gave them over to a debased mind that is people who can't think soberly or correctly or logically. He gave them over to that because that's what they wanted. But that's not what I want to focus on. God here is revealing something to us that answers questions about salvation, about um, those people who people think. I even had, I taught in the first service. I had somebody come up. They're like, are you saying somebody who's never heard the name of Christ? who's never been born again, who's never had a Bible in some jungle in Africa or South America, will go to hell. And Romans 1 is teaching us that they will. That they absolutely will. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all godliness. Now notice this, and unrighteousness of men, who suppressed the truth in unrighteousness? So we have a progression of something happening here. God is going to pour out his wrath. In this case, it's the wrath of abandonment. In the same way in Matthew 15, Jesus kept preaching these incredibly controversial messages, church. I mean, so controversial. Have you guys ever been in a moment where there was a controversy going on. And maybe you weren't directly involved, so there wasn't these passions, and it got really awkward really quick. You're just like, oh my. And you kind of, have you, there, there's, I've seen this personality trait in some people. Have you ever watched a movie that's so awkward you can't look at the movie anymore? You have to hide your eyes? Me and JL do that. Like it gets, JL is at this stage where she's seven years old and she finds romantic relationships very interesting, even at seven. I'm worried about it. Even yesterday, she's talking to one of our visiting missionaries here, John Tapley, and, and she's talking about this like 12 year old boy at our church back home. She says, I hope he likes me. Like, listen, I will kill him. <laughs> Don't worry about if a 12-year-old likes you. But when there is a kissing scene in a movie, two people kissing, she throws the covers over her face. I can't watch. These moments that Jesus is having with these Pharisees in his preaching are like a thousand times more awkward than those for his disciples. 
It is bad. And, and not only that, Jesus is offending his disciples left and right. Guys, you in Africa, you who are Africans, which is the majority of this room, you are a part of a culture that is a shame and honor culture. What that means is it's a patriarchal culture. You have this culture where your mom or your dad can shame and honor you and that affects you so dip deeply that it changes your behaviors to give in to what your parents say even if it's wrong. And, and it's very hard. Now that isn't to say that this culture is worth. Uh, American independent culture is not good either in many ways. But in a shame and honor culture where every decision you make revolves around what your parents think, what your father and your mother want for your life, Jesus comes into the scene, into a culture like that, into a culture like yours, and he says, unless you hate your father and your mother and come after me, you can't even go to heaven. You will have no part with me. Now, he's not advocating hatred. He's saying that your obedience to Christ must never cause you, must cause you to be disobedient to your parents if they're saying something to do is wicked, trying to tell you to do something that's wrong. One of the cases I heard just this week, a mom telling her daughter, move in with, she calls him the husband, he's not her husband. Move in with your husband. He's not the husband because she's living in fear and she's trying to get her daughter to get with this guy in a come and stay relationship. She has to say no to her mom. She has to. Jesus comes along and says these things to this culture. It's incredible. And he said it to the guy who said, I must go bury my father before I follow you. He's like, let the dead bury the dead. Unless you hate your father and mother to come after me, you'll have no part with me. You can't choose your parents over Jesus Christ. You can't choose your children over Jesus Christ. You can't choose your friends over Jesus. You can't choose your boyfriend over Jesus or your girlfriend. You have to choose Christ. A, we can't even begin. I believe that after we get to go to heaven, for those of us who are born again, I think when we exist outside of time, we're going to get to be in real time in those events. I can't wait to be on the Sermon on the Mount and just look around at people's faces. They're going, <gasps> just crazy stuff. One of the things he does in Matthew 15 is he preaches this and his disciples come up and he's like, don't, don't you know that you offended the Pharisees? You, this is so awkward. You're offending the most powerful pastors and priests in the world. And he says, let them alone. They're blind leaders of the blind. Leave them alone. Forget about them. That's what he's saying in Romans 1. I gave them over to vile passions. I gave them over to covetousness and weakness. I gave them over to a debased mind. He's leaving these people alone in their own devices who do this. This is what they're doing. This is incredible. I've had so many people come up. Hey, you're saying people are, are even this morning after I taught, he, are you saying those people? I had it this morning. Are you saying those people are going to go to hell who've never heard the name of Christ, who've never had a Bible? I was like, did you not just hear me preach for the last hour? 
That's what I'm saying. And this is what the Bible's saying. Listen, what are they doing? They're suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. So they are taking the truth, and the word suppress means to press down or to hide away, to keep away. The reason they're doing it is because they prefer unrighteousness, but they know what the truth is, and then it tells us where they're suppressing it. Because, so they're suppressing the truth in unrighteousness because what may be known of God, what is this knowledge, what is this truth? It's the knowledge of God. What may be known of God? So they take this truth, they're suppressing it in unrighteousness, then he specifies what the truth is. It's the truth about God. And then he tells us where they're suppressing it. Because what may be known of God is manifest where? In them. Inside of them. They're not taking this truth that they know, and that truth is the truth about God, and taking it and saying, okay, it's in my hands. I'm going to take it over to China, or I'm going to take it to India. I'm going to put it in the ground somewhere. I'm going to leave it there. I'm going to come back to Kenya, and I'm never going to see it again. Great, I suppress the truth in unrighteousness. That's not what's happening. It is inescapable because wherever they go, the truth about God goes with them because it is where? In them. It's inside of them. For since, or be, oh, the truth about God is manifested in them for what? God has shown it to them. How has he shown it to them? You guys see the progression here? They're suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. What is the truth? The truth about who God is. Um, where are they suppressing it? Inside of them. Not only that, how has God put it inside of them? Because... What may be known about God is manifested in it. God has shown it to them. And this is how he has put it in them. This is how he shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, verse 20, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. It's interesting. So this is what he's saying. They're suppressing the truth and righteousness. They're hiding it away. What is this truth? It's the truth about who God is. Well, where is this truth? It's inside of them. How did God put it in them? When he created them, he put it in them. When did he create? When he created mankind. Let us make man in Genesis chapter 1. In whose image? In our image and in our likeness he created them. When God created man, he stamped his image inside of them. Do you remember when the Pharisees tried to trap Jesus Christ? They come to him and they say, hey, should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? This was a big debate, a big issue in the Jewish world at that time. If Jesus says, yes, you should pay taxes, he's going to be in trouble with the Jews. If he says, no, you won't pay taxes, then he'll be arrested by the Romans. So they think, we know how to get rid of Jesus. You can never get rid of Jesus Christ. And that's the big point of Romans 1 too, by the way. 
And Jesus just says, well, bring me a coin. They bring a coin. Whose image is this? Is it Caesar's? Render unto Caesar what is Caesar's and what? Render unto who? God's what is God's. What is Jesus Christ saying? He says, this coin bears the image of Caesar, so pay it to him what he's asking. This person bears the image of God. He belongs to God. Whose image do you bear? God. There is inside each person enough knowledge about God. And, and you go down, and I'll read a little bit in between. We've read it a couple of times, but you go down to the end of the chapter. It says in verse um, 32, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death. So, and by the way, what's also very interesting, it says not only are they suppressing the truth and righteousness, which is offensive to God, they're unthankful. Do you know unthankfulness is a huge problem with God? That's a big issue. They're unthankful. So what, what, what God is saying, please hear this, guys. What God is saying is that though I am not saying that we know everything about God intuitively that Scripture reveals to us, we know now through the revelation of the Bible that there is a triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Christ is manifest as the truth as when he was born. He is the personified wisdom. He is the embodiment of truth. So we, know, we learn a lot that we could never know when we have a Bible. So don't think I'm saying that we can know everything without a Bible. You can't. But what Romans 1 is teaching us is that you and I, humanity, all the way from Adam, because it's talking about creation, have enough intuitive knowledge to justify God sending humanity to hell. That's what Romans 1 is saying. And listen, guys, I'm not making this up. There's debates about this. I was even talking to uh, Ronnie, our saxophone player. The people are discussing this at different churches. It's like, what about the people in the woods? What about the people who've never heard the name of Christ? They intuitively know enough because they're creating the image of God to be without excuse. They are going to hell if they do not get born again and know who Christ is. So you answer, okay. If I'm going to believe that, then tell me, how does Romans reveal to us how they get to know Christ? I'm so glad you asked. I'll tell you, this is how it works. They're created in God's image, but they're born in original sin, so they have a fleshly nature. But it cries out, the moral consciousness of God, because we're in his image, cries out, don't do this sin. And so much of what our moral consciousness tells us not to do, we do because we're sinful. As Paul describes, oh wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of sin and death, that which I don't want to do, I do, and that which I do want to do, I don't do, and, and who's going to save me? 
Well, guys, we know all of that stuff. And, 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 and when we violate that moral consciousness, we know that we are in trouble. We know that we have sinned. We know that we have violated it. When I was nine years old is the first time I was exposed to pornography. I had a, a, a family member of mine hand me a magazine. Say, check this out. This moral consciousness that over time can get quieter and callous to where it doesn't happen at all. But at that time, as a young nine-year-old, it was screaming out, don't look at this magazine. Don't do it. It's wrong. You're violating God's righteousness. This is how it works. Instead of hiding away Instead of suppressing inside of us the knowledge of God, the truth that we can know about God, that we innately know, we seek God. We say, okay, I don't know who created me. I don't know who I am. I don't have the answer, but what I do know, I am in violation. Uh, Who's out there? So a general inquiry leads to a supernatural revelation because God is always faithful to show himself to the person who seeks after him. Seek, and you what? You shall find. It's not talking about a million shillings in your bank account. It's talking about God himself. Seek after God and you will find God. Knock and the revelation of who God is, that is Christ, will be opened to you. Ask and you will receive. It's talking about asking about God, seeking after God, knocking to walk through so you can have a better revelation of God. The people in the jungles can do that because they have a moral consciousness because they're created in God's image. And when they choose to suppress that knowledge of who God is, they are without excuse and God was, is well within his right to kill them. There has been entire people groups. To prove this, there's been entire people groups where missionaries never went and those entire tribes not only know the name of Christ in their language, they even have Bibles in their language. And you ask, what happened? There's never been anything in recorded history that shows that anybody has translated a Bible in their image. And they share the traditions. It's like two people came into our camp. They shared the gospel and they gave us this book. And we've had it for 300 years. What's happened? I don't know. Somebody in that tribe sought after their creator. God revealed himself through angels, delivered to them writings of his word, and the gospel was shared. Though God primarily uses people to go preach around the world, he is not limited to people preaching around the world. He can send in angels. Jesus Christ himself can appear to people groups. Do you guys hear about all the visions that Muslims are having around the world right now of Jesus Christ? Where, guys, listen, where Muslims have successfully and completely 
prevented any Christian from coming into certain communities to share the gospel, there is entire groups of people who've never even heard the name of Christ one time. I personally have never met somebody. No, that's not true. I did meet one person who did not hear about Jesus Christ. But I have met missionaries who've gone into areas around the world and begin talking about the Bible. And these people, I mean, even in the internet age, these kids have never even heard about Jesus Christ, about Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. They've never heard anything. There are parts of the earth, but you go to some of these, Jesus Christ is appearing before them in visions and dreams. In the same way that he appeared before Paul even, Christ is appearing before people. I believe very strongly that Romans 1 is revealing to us that any individual who sought after their creator, that God has always been faithful to reveal himself to them because God is faithful and not willing that any should perish, but all come to repentance. And conversely, I believe Romans 1 is teaching us those who do not know who God is have suppressed the intuitive knowledge they have had about God, though they could name him by name in unrighteousness, and they are deserving of death. You say, man, that's tough. I just don't know. God describes these people. In verse 26, for this reason, God gave them up to vile passions, for even the women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Do you know what the Bible is saying to us? It's saying women are the last ones to, per, to participate in perverse sexual immorality. It's always the men who go first. And in this type of culture that God is describing, in this type of wickedness that God is describing in whatever nation he's describing it in, he's even like, even the women now are becoming lesbians completely given over to sexual morality. Likewise, also the men, having the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men, committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. Now it's consequential sin. All the AIDS and STDs, they're receiving in themselves the consequences of homosexual behavior. Very interesting studying these things. Do you know the average age of a homosexual man is like 55 now? Or maybe even be lower, I'm forgetting the numbers. It's well under 60. In the Western world, I don't know about here in Africa or the Eastern, in the Western world, a homosexual man has on average 20 different Sexual encounters a month. Women are way less. The moment that a nation begins down the path of pornographic 
entertainment, which leads to child abuse, homosexuality, lesbianism, is the moment God says, I'm done with that nation. And I believe that God is lifting his hand of blessing off of America, which has been the most blessed nation of the last 250 years. He's saying, you don't want me? I'm giving you over to vile passions. I am giving you over to a debased mind. And then it mentions it again in verse 28. Even as they did not receive God in their knowledge, God gave them over to debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual morality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, Unforgiving, unmerciful, you knowing the righteous judgment of God who practice such things are deserving of death. God is saying to humanity, church, I am well within my right to kill people who have completely ignored me and practice such things. And he is. He is. There's three things that we intuitively can know that the Bible reveals in verses um, 21. Is that his eternal power in Godhead. There's three things within that. That he is eternal, that he is all-powerful, and that he's more than one. I don't have time to explain that. Uh, There's history that proves even the Greek philosopher said there has to be more than one. uh, 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 There has to be diversity in the person who created earth, wind, fire, and water. I, I don't want to get into that now. But God is telling us, people, that they know there is a God. They know he's eternal. They know he's all powerful. They, they, they know he's more than one. Just intuitively because they're creating his image. They can't call him Yahweh. They don't know Jesus. But that knowledge that they're suppressing, when they don't suppress it, God will reveal himself to them as they seek after him. Now here's the main point. Please listen. Here's the the main point. The Apostle Paul is not going down this list to have a bad Sunday morning for 2,000 years. It's like, golly, this is depressing, Pastor Josh. Why is Paul writing homosexuality, lesbianism, and this and that and that? This is sexual morality, children disobedient to parents. This and that, all these things. Why? Because he wants us to understand not only that the gospel is the only answer unto salvation, it is more powerful than we realize. And this is why it's more powerful than we realize. When we share the gospel with people, we are giving them the answers to stuff that, 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 that has been in them no, no matter how far they've pushed it down. No matter how much they have suppressed it, we have given them answers to the questions 
that have plagued them all of their life inside of them. Guys, listen, share the, share the gospel with somebody. It doesn't matter if what comes out of their mouth isn't in agreement with you. When you share the gospel, it's powerful. And, and, and what has been suppressed for so long, whether it be in a people group who've never heard the name of Christ or somebody who abandoned Christ because they were grown up in the church, what has been suppressed deep, deep in their souls because they want sin over Christ, they want sin over salvation, start screaming out once again. Start saying, hey, listen to this person. Listen to what he's saying. It's the truth. C.S. Lewis called this the, the ring of truth. When you share the gospel, do you understand that's why the reason, one of the reasons it's so powerful? Yes, because it's the truth. Truth is powerful, but because that truth is inside of them. That's why it's so powerful. And that thing that's inside of them because you're telling them about their creator and they were created by their creator is screaming out, yes, it's the truth. And they have to suppress it for them not to be born again. Once again, suppressing, suppressing. And I know this is a very un-Calvinistic theology I'm talking about. That's, that's because I'm not a Calvinist. And I, I, I don't believe in it. I don't think it's accurate. But check this out, guys. The gospel's powerful. It's not giving a list. And God's not saying, please listen. He's not saying, I'm going to kill these people. They're all dead. Just, I hate them all. God's not saying that. He's saying, I want them to get born again. The gospel's powerful. They're practicing these things. They're ignoring me. I'm giving them over. But they're suppressing the truth. And when they believe, they'll be born again. That's the message. The message is that the blood of Christ is, was poured out because of sinful people. You guys understand that if there were a hundred ways to save people, if there were a hundred ways to save humanity, God would have given us a hundred ways to be saved. If there were 50 ways for humanity to be saved, that was Christ and the revelation of Muhammad or Charles Tay Russell or Joseph Smith, then he would have given those ways because that's how gracious he is. That's how merciful he is. Listen, if there were two ways for humanity to be saved, God would have given us two ways. When God says that there's only one way, it's because there's only one way. It's not God being stubborn saying, I could have given you three ways, but I don't want to, so you only get one. No, there's only one way. Because nobody else is qualified to die for sinners. Only Christ. Don't ever underestimate the power of the gospel. Don't ever underestimate it to the most wealthy guy in Kenya. His wealth can't save him. Don't be intimidated by money. 
Don't ever be intimidated by the imams in this nation, those who run the mosque. They are suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. Years ago, me and a, a, a young man I was discipling, we went into every mosque in this entire town. Every mosque, we shared the gospel. We were not intimidated. I will not be intimidated by people who think they, uh, uh, their money will save them, that their religion of Islam or Mormonism or Jehovah's, Ta- uh, Jehovah's Witnessism with Charles T. Russell, none of it's going to save them. It's only through the blood of Jesus Christ. People are screaming out inside of them. The image of God is saying to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. We just have to tell him who he is. We have to tell him who he is. Listen, this song is is really a gospel outreach song, not a worship song. So I just want you to sit there. If you're not born again, I want you to know that it's because of Christ or because of your sins that Christ died. The apostle Peter said that we are responsible. He said to the crowd, you are responsible for killing the son of God.